Welcome to the Gig Boss Podcast, a show about artistry and industry and music. My name's Adam Meckler, and it's my mission to get you the tools to have a thriving career. And hey, today we're talking about sync licensing. So if you're into sync licensing, if you're interested in finding another way to monetize the original music that you're making, this is a great episode because we talk about ASCAP and BMI. We talk about sync licensing. We talk about how to get, how to find publishers in sync licensing. It's really an awesome conversation. I learned some things myself, right? And I'm doing a lot of this stuff myself in my career right now. I'm implementing everything I'm learning on this podcast. My conversation with Josh was super awesome. He goes by XJ Will on both Instagram and TikTok. And his content has just been blowing up because he creates so much value with what he's making, right? He's giving you tons of information on how to make your music sound more expensive. So like in literal terms, he's teaching you how to get the great sounds from expensive hardware with digital plugins. Uh, so if you're an engineer, that will speak to you. But also, he's teaching people how to get into sync, how to get connected with publishers, how to frame your music for sync. And we just, we uncover a lot of ground here. We met on a show. I had this band, Nookie Jones, for a while. And we toured down in Kansas City. And we played a show with his band, Shades of Jade. And I remember just being super impressed by Josh in general as a musician. He's an amazing trumpet player. And... We talked a little bit about how there's this gap in education where they teach us how to play our instruments, but they don't really teach us how to get paid, right? How to eat, as Josh puts it. So a big part of what Josh learned with Shades of Jade was to go to ASCAP and find other ways to make money if you're making original music in mid to large size venues, right? So we're going to talk about that. I don't want to take up any more of your time because this is such an awesome conversation. I know you're going to dig it. Here's my conversation with Josh Williams, XJ Will. Kid Madness in the morning. So I was like, oh man. My wife is like, we gotta go, we gotta go. And I was like, okay, I'll help. You know. <laughs> and so, uh, and so I made it though. I made it. I have to is your son? We only have one car. We're one car family now, which is different. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a little less convenient. I, uh, we, me and my wife, we just, uh, my we recently bought two cars and we thought that hers was a dud and it was actually mine after we fixed a couple things from hers so yeah. like I just haven't had time to get around to fixing it and since I work from home it's not as big of a deal but it's really annoying yeah are you playing gigs anymore are you like playing your horn at all yeah I, I play when I feel like it it's kind of nice you know what I mean like I'll do like wedding bands and stuff like that um, when I have the spare time, but like mostly now, just because like I can make music at home in my pajamas, that's normally what I'm doing more often. But I always am recording trumpets because of um, different production things that I do. So like I try to stay in shape because you know how that is. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like if you're not playing, I yep. mean, like it's fine if you're in the studio. It's like you can get away with that. I think a little bit easier. But yeah, going to play a wedding band gig, you're gonna get you're gonna get crushed. <laughs> yep. Mm-hmm. So I try to stay in shape because uh, you never know when that's going to happen. Yeah. So we met, uh, man, I don't know, 2014, maybe. Give or take. Yeah. Uh, it had to be, it had to be around 2014. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And I saw you playing, I don't remember what band it was that in Kansas city. Was that in Kansas city? Yeah. Shades of Jade. Shades of Jade. That's right. <laughs> that was a super fun project. And it was really cool because like, 
when we had so I, I guess backstory for for all the listeners like yeah. i think we were just super impressed with the um the way that nookie jones was set up it was either we saw you at a show or like um we just really appreciate the vibes that you guys were 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 performing with and so um we were trying to trade shows back and forth so that whenever you guys came over here uh to kansas city we had a uh, a nice venue for everyone to play at and try to make some make some quick cash so it was really cool because you guys were also from the midwest which was really hard to find like a legit yep. neo soul r&b group that was doing that kind of stuff and you guys originals were great and that's what something that we really prided ourselves on too so it was yeah, just a cool. really cool experience yeah we enjoyed hearing you guys i i i mean i particularly remember being super into what you were doing and uh, like on the horn uh but yeah man like that thing that was pretty early on in the nookie in in the nookie time like the in the next few years we really kind of amped our show up into this like high energy thing and then COVID hit and camera moved to LA and it was like it kind of became like I don't know if this is going to keep happening which is bummer because like I don't have any other bands where I get Facebook messages every day like when are you guys going to play again when are you guys going to release music again like all this other shit that I love and I put my heart into I don't have people messaging me every day Nookie Jones got like message 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 message. (laughs) yeah like I don't know what it was. It was just like the the energy you guys had on stage and just like the music was awesome. So like it that that makes a lot of sense to me for sure. Yeah, it was fun. I thought are you still I know I know you're like you're making a ton of music as a producer. You said you're playing some wedding bands. Are you doing are you trying to chase the dream in like a band that's making original music anymore? Or are you strictly like you're at home, you're making making that money doing sync licensing and that's kind of where you're focusing all your energy? Uh, for the most part now, I think, uh, the reason why was something similar to, I think most bands, especially the Midwest, um, what happens is when we get into our like late twenties, everyone starts to get in these pivot positions, as I like to call them, like either people get married, have kids, or maybe they, they end up maybe pursuing, um, (laughs) a wiser career. (laughs) So like, because of all, all of those kinds of different circumstances and the bigger the band, the more moving problems you have. Right. Yeah. Um, so when that happens, like everyone kind of, we had to start to figure out if this was going to be viable or not. And um unfortunately we had to kind of end the project uh but i think the core group myself desmond um dominique sanders and um what's the other guys um oh yeah perry holiday the drummer or one of the drummers in the group uh, we still wanted to create music so that's how we kind of started leaning towards production cool cool i I see desmond like seems like desmond's crushing in the gym man like see him He's, he's sure. lost he's, a bunch of weight. He's pumping yeah. up. Yeah, for sure. That's cool. So maybe, maybe he just needed to get rid of the band so that he could focus <laughs> <laughs> on, on the other stuff. Yeah, right. So, uh, you know, you, how, how much of that work that you do in sync is collaborative? Like, are you mostly doing things by yourself or are you doing a lot of work with other people? I, I read somewhere that, like, you know, I, I read somebody's book on sync licensing and they were like, if you can't play drums, like get a drummer. So it sounds authentic. If you can't do whatever, you know, do more collaborative work. Collaborative work is probably the fastest way to get into sync licensing, because if you work with someone that's already doing it, like 
the hardest part about getting into sync licensing is getting into sync licensing. After yeah. you have a publisher, all you have to do is sit back and make music and they go shop it for you. Yeah. Which is awesome. Um, so like as I've I've been in sync since about 2017. So like as the years went on and after I went full time uh, around the uh the lockdown, yeah. uh, I started to realize that having more musicians in the um in the writing or production process makes the music sound more expensive, which makes it more authentic. And um, normally okay. I can charge more for that. So I, I, this year, one of my goals is to start working more with artists again. I took some time off from that just because like, it wasn't as necessary for me to produce music at scale. But um, now, especially cause I'm finding out like art, our budgets are larger normally because they're paying for a lyric. I'm starting to branch out to work with artists again for free. Uh, because we're, we'll just split the, uh, the upfront fees 50, right, 50. Right, right, right. So the so, hardest part about getting into sync is getting into sync. So how do you, how do you find a publisher? Um, so like, there's a different, there's a couple different ways that I like to do it personally. Um, you can always go the Google route, but unfortunately Google's full of ads. So you have to kind of sloth through the sludge to try to find the legit ones. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I kind of, uh, like the approach of going on LinkedIn and just type it in mm. music library owners and, and people that work at these companies because, <clears throat> excuse me, that way, like you, again, you don't have to run through ads or anything like that. You have the actual contact. You might have their social media, you can follow them there and then actually shoot them a DM. Um, that might actually be easier than shooting a cold email through their website. So mm. those are normally the, 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 the kinds of uh, techniques I like to use in order to find um, music publishers. I'm currently signed to like, eight or nine of them. So I'm always like constantly <laughs> trying to <laughs> reach deadlines and, and yeah. So are any of them exclusive or is it all like, yeah. yeah, a lot of them are exclusive. So the way it works, um, is you have a, um, there's not exclusive deals, exclusive deals and buyouts buyouts is where like, they basically like the McDonald's theme song, like they purchase and own that music. You cannot monetize off of it anymore. Right. Exclusive deals just mean that if I give this music to Adam, um, I can't give that same song to another publisher. Right. Uh, they solely represent that until the term of that deal is over with. And then non-exclusive, I can send it to everybody and everybody shops it. Mm -hmm. Exclusive deals normally pay a lot more because you can't get this anywhere else. Like you, you just, you can find it here. Supply and demand. Right. So do you have, so I recently did a thing um, with the Youngblood guys and it was uh, like the, the NBA theme song was up for a rewrite and they reached out to right. us because they wanted like a horn based hip hop esque thing. And that's kind of young blood's thing. Mm -hmm. And uh, they, it's like, they came to us and they, 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 and I know that they went and got demos from, I'm sure lots of, I don't know how many, five, six, seven different, different people. Uh, is that like, how common is that? How, how often do you run into an agency going like, we need this type of song. Our client wants this and this and this. And we're also asking for demos from all these other people. And then we'll choose from these, you know, five, six, seven demos rather than going into our library and searching through all the stuff we have in our library. So custom work happens a lot more often than a lot of people think, just because if I was a company, I would want something that I can be confident that it represents my brand. So, um, when it comes to what well, I think what you're talking about is just briefs in general. Um, when it comes to custom briefs, I do get those quite often. And that's what I like to work with more often than, um, uh, just random 
placements when people just go through a library and find stuff just because there's a there's a higher price point and there's also the fact that i get the film score which is sometimes really really interesting yeah uh, especially because like sometimes i'll get to watch trailers before they're aired to the public and stuff it's really really cool um and you get cool. to kind of feed even more of the artist side of things uh as a musician as far as like okay i know this scene is going to be um um a lot a lot more somber so like now i can use my harmony and things of um like other musician techniques like with instrumentation to actually like accentuate that and yeah. that's the cool stuff that i like to do yeah cool are you getting paid to make the demos themselves in those situations so we, we it's like we got paid i think we got paid yeah we got paid for the demo and then there was like another fee if you're thing got chosen yeah if it got yeah so demo fees are are rare but they are with larger companies they normally will do that because they're paying you for your time like you're making something it might not get chosen so yeah um, it's way better than like other other industries where like you make it and you get the exposure if if it works but if it doesn't too bad um so that's that's really really nice um normally demo fees can range around at least the lowest I've seen is about a hundred dollars, but I've also seen demo fees in four figures, which wow. is wild. Um, but like when I say demo, I mean like it's fully mixed and mastered. Right. Um, it's, it's just like, it's being demonstrated on the, the picture. So that's what that means. Right. Right. Cool. I, I, you know, I would love to back up a tiny bit and just learn a little bit about your history. I know we jumped right into right into the nitty gritty and I have a lot more questions related to this stuff. This is stuff that I, I'm just starting to kind of get into myself. And, uh, you know, I, like I've got, I've got a whole bunch of stuff worked out, but like, what, did you grow up in Kansas city? Did you have musical parents? Like what was your history like? So I grew up in St. Louis, Missouri. And, um, at the time, I think it was ranked as like one of the most dangerous cities in, in the U S and so music actually really saved my life. Like, uh, I got into, um, playing trumpet, at the age of like 11 mm. and um it was all just because i heard some so a brass quintet came to my middle school when i was or my elementary school when i was younger and i just got exposed to star wars and yeah. so um um i remember it was a girl that was playing french horn she played like the 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 force theme or something i was like yo i want to do that when i grow up yeah and when i got old enough to to go to band i wanted to play french horn and they were like ah that's expensive you're gonna have to play something else and so i got i got stuck with trumpet and i found out that my dad used to play horn when he was in high school and like drum and bugle oh, wow. course. and so like we're fighting over the instrument and trying to play it and he's trying to show me stuff and uh my my middle school teacher pulled me pulled my parents to the side after like a semester and was like get this kid some lessons like he actually likes practicing that's kind of rare <laughs> so like you should probably keep that keep that up and so like over time i uh was able and fortunate enough to grab a scholarship at a uh, university in kansas city um that uh focused on uh jazz studies and oh, yeah. um from there um got a chance to do some international touring which was fun and who was um, that with uh we did some with Bobby Watson and we also did some with uh shades of Jade, which was fun. Um, cool. but when I, uh, when I actually, when I got back, um, one of the adjunct faculty members, uh, invited me to a concert and I found out later it was a benefit concert cause he couldn't pay his health insurance. And so like Damn. my whole life flashed before my eyes. Cause I was like, yo, they taught us how to play, which I'm super grateful for. Um, and, uh, we learned some business things there, but they really didn't teach us how to eat. Yeah, and man. So 
that's when that's actually around the same time I started. Um, I we kind of ran into you guys because we we were really impressed with the way you guys were playing a lot of originals, and that's how I figured out like publishing is the way like musicians actually are able to afford what they do. And so like that's when we started like anytime we'd play live or tour. Um, we're registering our work so that we get paid twice on the back end for performing our own music, which was can really, you, really cool. Can you break that down just a little bit more like publishing, sure. getting paid twice? Like, let, let's talk through that a little bit. Like what are you, what, like you're using ASCAP BMI? Are you, yeah, so I think mechanical I was, royalties yeah. or. So mechanical royalties get paid out through a distributor, right? So like your TuneCore, your CD baby or your, uh, your distro kid. Um, but what we were getting paid was performance royalties. So whenever you play a song at a live venue, they're actually supposed to pay a fee to ASCAP, BMI, these rights organizations, um, because they're they're hosting and uh, performing your music inside their venues. And so what we would when I figured this out, what we would do is we'd play like 80 percent our own music. And like everyone, everyone in the group at first, maybe for the exception of Desmond, we're like, oh, but the covers is what like people like listening to, especially in the Midwest. Yep. And so like, um, it, it was a struggle at first. And what happened when we got, so we, we would play the gig, maybe it was a hundred, $200 gig. Right. And, um, afterwards I would log into my BMI account. And I, I think like I was saying, BMI was the first to do it, but I think ASCAP came around to do it too. Um, I would just log into my account and, since my the songs that we played were already registered, we just type in where we played them and how big the venue was. And uh, every quarter we'd get like another check for like $200, $300 off of like all the collections of uh, places we played. And we were gigging a lot in this season. Man. So like it was, it was crazy. Cause it was almost like free money for us. Cause we had for writing your own music, which was awesome. Yeah. So, so man, I like, I, I've played so many gigs of my original music. It's insane. Like that's, that's how I've spent the majority of my time performing. And I've played large, like large venues doing that. I've sold out theaters. Mm -hmm. I have like, never once gone in and, and like said what my performances are. I just kind of expected that that stuff would just show up, but that's not how it works. You actually have to go in. Mm -hmm. So can I retroactively go through my counter from the last 10 years and <laughs> I don't know if you can do it for 10, but I think you can like within like a certain time frame, um, and, uh, log in those kinds of things. I know for a fact, like we did see spikes in our, in our revenues and royalties when, um, we were playing larger venues. So like, I would definitely look into those. Yeah. Okay. That, again, you're getting paid twice for doing the same thing. Like, you yeah. might as well. and, and I like, hope people I, listening I, are, are taking notes, man. That's like, that's such a huge <laughs> And you know, Youngblood has this thing worked out where, like, if you do the merch table after shows, you get an extra fifteen bucks a day while you're on the road, or like, if you do, and so like, maybe it's something you can work out as a band is like, if you're the person who sits down at the computer and logs all the performances, then you get a small percentage of that or something. That's a. That's a and then like we we would just share the um, because sometimes we would write band or songs collectively as a band, so like we just share, we just split everything. It was easier that way. Right. Um, I think that that was a cool difference between like growing up playing music as a jazz musician. Um, there's sometimes a, a connotation where like everybody just does their own thing. Uh, but like in bands, like 
the ones that we were in, it was more a collaborative effort. It had a rock band mentality. Like everybody was in it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think it's helpful for like everyone kind of realizing like there's other ways to monetize our, our music. And that, and that's the biggest takeaway I want everyone to, to have. Like um, when I, when I do like my social media and like try to share, like every time you create a piece of music, you've made a wealth building asset. Okay. Mm-hmm. So like you can monetize, you can exploit it any way you want because after you're finished making it, it's yours. So um, being able to do that, whether it be with sync or just when you perform it, like there's anytime your music is played, someone should be getting paid. It should be you. <laughs> so there's a big disconnect in education related to this kind of stuff. You didn't learn any of this stuff in, in your jazz studies major. No. You just figured all this <laughs> stuff on your, on your own. What are we Not doing in academia, man? Like I'm sitting in my office at a university. I don't have music majors. Like I, I work at Michigan Technological University. So I have all, you know, engineering students. I do have some students who major in like audio production, sound design, things like that. Uh, the tech side of music, but there aren't any like performance majors and things like that. But man, I, I just, one of the reasons why I started this podcast was to like learn more about the music industry, learn more about the business side of the music. Cause this is a huge gap in knowledge. And I feel like, I'm better than most people at it. It's like, you know, it's like I figured out a lot of that stuff on, on my own, uh, but there's obviously still holes that I haven't unlocked, you know? It's weird, man. Like I wish, and that's something that, so I actually, because I saw that gap as well in academia, I built like my own uh, course to kind of help musicians to to get into that kind of stuff because yeah. um, again, like we learn how to play and, there's nothing i mean you have to master your craft that's first and foremost but also if you actually want to make any type of living off of it you have to understand that side as well so like in the course that i have like we actually structure it that way so you have to learn the business side first of how you can actually get paid and then we get into the music because the music's the easy part most people already kind of know how to do that kind of stuff so um and it's also like when i've talked to sync agents uh music libraries music supervisors they always have the pet peeve of like most artists don't understand the business side. And when that happens, it becomes a handholding situation. And like, because they're on deadlines all the time, like they don't normally, although they would love to do it. Like, don't get me wrong. Like they, they, they don't have time for that. They just don't have as much ample time to help. Yeah. They don't have time for that. Yeah. So what's like, what, what's covered in your course, things that we're talking about now and where can people find that? Yeah. Um, I can, I can send you a link. Um, it's, it's got a weird, link because it's set up with the um with uh one of those sites like teachable or kajabi but like um what we go over basically is the business side so like understanding the different types of deals you would get we go over a sample agreement um we we talk about like how your music can actually be exploited most people think like sync license is just like commercials video games and tv but you also have like promos you have trailers you have educational videos like for employment training or whatever like actually one of my uh one of my homies he had a uh placement with a university and because it was like like with missouri you have university of rolla you have university of uh mizzou or whatever they're all under the same umbrella and so because he got a placement with um that that organization and it was played in multiple places because it was under the same umbrella. He got paid each time it was used in a different place. Wow. So like that one placement turned into like five. And um, oh. I mean, yeah, so there's all kinds of, you have the metaverse, which is still something that's kind of new, but since it's still moving picture um, and your music's behind it, technically that's the sync placement too. So there's all kinds of stuff like that. I think um, 
at least if you understand, you can kind of under, uh, you can take more of a laser focused approach as far as like where I think my music would fit best helping tell a story or sell a product. Mm -hmm. So uh, when you do that, um, it, I just think it helps you get to your goals faster. So we do that. And then we go over the pitching process as well. But like, um, we also like analyze some of the songs that I've gotten synced, like with Ford and Apple and things of that nature. So that, um, you can kind of look under the hood because I not nine times out of 10, most of the, my placements that I've gotten, uh, I've never seen a video for, uh, they were picked because they were arranged a certain way and mixed and mastered a certain way. So like interesting doing those kinds of things, when I reverse engineer it after my first placement, um, that's when I kind of got the snowball effect and everything started kind of lining up. Yeah. Cool. So how, how do you find out where your music fits best before you're able maybe to really cater things to things mm -hmm. as a skill level? It's like, you're already making music. Maybe you're an artist and you're releasing things on Spotify. Mm -hmm. How do you know where your music fits best? And then how do you kind of pitch that to uh, a publisher or a library? So um, the best thing that you can do first is understand where your strengths are because like a first date, you want to always put your best foot forward. Right. So like, I'm going to make sure that I have stuff that accentuates, um, character traits or physical traits or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. So after you figure out what you're really, really good at producing first, um, then all you got to do is sit back, grab a, a nice glass of Kool-Aid or whatever, uh, <laughs> and then turn on the TV because everything that we actually experience is a placement. Someone had to approve it before it went live. Right. So what you do is you think of shows that might work for stuff that you do. Like if it's, if it's hip hop, you, um, might be able to work on a, a lot of sports TV shows because of the high energy, right. Or if it's pop music, you might be able to do a lot of TV shows or uh, commercials because, Pop music is such a broad term for everything. Um, it works in different venues. Rock and roll. Um, you think of like um, um, survival shows um, or uh, what's the other one? Those those challenge shows where you have to like run through a bunch of different uh, events. So or Duck Dynasty, you know, there's, there's yeah, tons yeah. Of, like so all you have to do, honestly, is just turn on the TV and close your eyes because a lot of that music is already kind of set to where it needs to be. And you just find out where you fit in mm -hmm. uh, there. I would then possibly there's a, there's two websites I like to use. Um, one of them is more important than the other. But um, if you're an artist, you can go to if you want to find out what music's being used on your favorite TV show, you can go to a, a website called tunefind.com. Okay. Um, from there, they will tell you per episode, what music was being played, uh, what music was being played. Sometimes they give you like the music supervisor that was in charge of that. You know what I'm saying? Yep. Um, which is super helpful because again, the more, you know, the, the faster you can find a home for your music. Because for me, when I first started, it took me 18 months to get my first placement. Cause I didn't know any of this stuff. So I was kind of shooting in the dark. Wow. Um, but like, um, from there, you would normally reach out to a sync agent or a music library because most of us don't know music supervisors. And since they don't know us and one of their jobs is to make sure that the music's legally clearable. Mm -hmm. So no splice samples or um, untreated samples of that nature. Um, I can't just run up to a music supervisor. I don't know. They don't know me from Adam. <laughs> yep. So like um, when, when I come up and I'm like, yo, buy my mixtape, like, bro, I don't know you. Like, what, you what is this? I already, you don't even know what I'm working on. So yeah. like, how does this even help me? And they get millions of emails a day. So it's, it's better to go through a trusted source 
Um, and that would be a sync rep, like a sync agent or a music library. They have the connections because they know all the music supervisors that they work with. So now all I have to do is make the music after I reach out to them and they're like, oh yeah, this is work. This is cool. We'll represent you. Um, after I sign a publishing agreement with them, uh, any music I give them, they're pitching out constantly. So now I have a catalog of like a thousand songs that are being pitched constantly yep. all over the place. And now it's been, I've been fortunate enough to uh, start making placements at least uh, once a month, which is really, really cool. Wow. That's awesome, man. So that's, that's, awesome. that's it in a nutshell, but so, <laughs> so how, do, how do you, uh, like, do you suggest that people reach out to, you know, maybe once you've had a relationship and say, what kind, I've heard you say this on your Instagram channel, what kind of, uh, what kind of tracks do you need in your library? So you have, so you have an idea of like what to make Sometimes you do the research yourself. Um, like with a lot of catalogs, they actually allow public access. So you can go through the catalog and be like, Oh, they're missing a lot of, um, maybe rockabilly music. Um, maybe that's something I can, I can help with. Hey, so when you type in your, your email, and, um, and you, you express them, Hey, my name is, I really like these placements that you guys have gotten recently, like do your homework. Make so the then email. you got a little homework done. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Because that way you're showing that you actually want to help instead of just copy pasting here, check out my music, check out my music. That never works. They can smell a copy paste email a mile away. Yeah. So, um, I'll, I'll do some of that research first and show like, Hey, I really want to help you guys. Here's something that might also like cater to your catalog. And when that happens, you have the opportunity of uh, building a relationship that way. And um, I always tell people because this is, this is where it, like stuff gets hard as far as trying to get into a publishing deal is they get hundreds of emails that might not even deal with music. So like you have to be patient and you have to be consistent. So uh, if I don't hear back from them within the first two weeks, I'll send them a follow-up email. And normally that's when I actually start getting in or at least get a response back because again, they just, there's a lot of, a lot of people that are in a lot of moving parts. And this so, kind of uh, goes back to no copy and pasting, right? This, this is a more by following up. It's like a personal yeah. thing. And then they know maybe by the second email, they go like, Oh, this is a real person emailing me. Uh, yeah. That, but you can also show your work ethic that way too. So like you're following up and maybe you've had more new music, like, Hey, I don't know if you like the stuff. I have other stuff as well that might cater to your catalog. Yeah you're really honestly just a, trying to help another right. human being. There's a lot of parallels here with booking tours and like trying to book shows at venues. It's the same idea. I've, I've talked about this on the show, like being consistent with follow-up. Sometimes it takes, I mean, like when I booked shows in, in New York, it was like I had to follow up five or six times before somebody would be like, oh, hey, yeah, I know this person that you, yeah, that name you dropped. And yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. People are just busy. So like just being consistent. And I mean, if every two weeks that's, the, the best timeline I've experimented with without wanting to be annoying. Cause that's the last thing I want to do is get on someone's bad side just cause right. I'm persistent. So like, um, yeah, following up is like the, the best thing that you could possibly do when you're reaching out to, uh, sync reps. So, yeah. So let's talk about your, your content creation. Cause it's, it, I mean, like from afar, it seems like it's crushing and I love the way you put your videos together. Is this, do you, uh, you know, how do you plan out the structure of your Instagram videos? How's it going? Getting people attracted to your course through those videos. Do you, are you editing your own videos? Do you have somebody, I think you mentioned like your wife is maybe helping with some of that. So you have like sort of a team that's working on this. 
Yeah. So like when I first started doing more content creation, it was during the the lockdown. So I had a little extra time to mess with it. But as like I started getting signed to more publishers and started teaching, I just didn't have as much uh, bandwidth for it. So I've shown my wife how to do it. And she's she's really good now. <laughs> we go through. A, uh, so I'll record all my content on just my phone. And um, I'll run it through an AI program called Descript. You ever heard of that before? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've used Descript for the podcast, actually, because it'll yeah, auto edit it's stuff. Code, bro. Yeah, especially for audio. But like with video, it's nice because um, it'll do jump cuts for me just by uh, editing the the text that it transcribes. Mm-hmm. So from there, um, if normally, well, I, I like to add GIFs just because like everyone relates to them. And if it can accentuate something I'm saying, it can... Uh, catch someone's attention. It's just like music, uh, especially in production. Uh, I want to try to continue to pull the listener's ear by like throwing something they don't expect ear candy. So I do that with GIFs and call it like eye candy just to like, um, if something I'm saying, cause sometimes it's higher level, like understanding stuff. So if I can simplify it to like where a five-year-old can understand it and then also like show other pictures to kind of express that learning or whatever that learning uh, trigger, uh, it helps tremendously. So anytime I can, I'll, I'll uh, she'll add a GIF to try to kind of explain what I'm what I'm talking about. And, and you, um, from are you there, doing that in Descript? Yeah, yeah. And it's so Descript has some type of deal with uh, Jiffy, I think it is, and you can you can just highlight the word you want the the GIF to show up on, and it just drops it in. It's really really helpful. Yeah, cool. Um, so like from there, I'll just make sure the audio is good, and then. Uh, <laughs> post it from there so it's it's, cool. it's rather simple as far as like figuring out what kind of content it's it's great because i try to i read all my comments and so like i just get a feel for what the audience needs and I'm, i mean i'm just trying to help them help everybody out because i mean like i was saying before our music's worth more than we normally are we led to believe right. um and so if i can help out anybody with this kind of stuff that's that's the uh that's the goal and and how's it going attracting people to your course doing that kind of content through like, are you getting a lot of people through your Instagram? Yeah, uh, totally. Um, Instagram and TikTok are, are like normally the only ways that I try to advertise just cause like, I'm not really trying to scale or do anything. I'm, I'm, I got placements. So like, I'm just trying to help everybody else out. So I'm not really like pushing it too hard. Um, so like you actually, in order to know about the, the course stuff, you actually would either have to either DM me or go through like one of the crash courses I have before it gets to the the other stuff. Cause on the, the, uh, the, the course we were just mentioning about, like we actually interview agents and supervisors because their ears are more expensive than mine. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. Since they're making the decision, I can help you with mixing and mastering and like harmony theory and all that kind of stuff, but like they're making the decisions. So like, I would want to hear their opinions more than anybody else's. Right. Right. So. so I hear you say this, uh, follow me to make your, make your music sound more expensive. How, and I, I remember I talked to Graham Barton too, who's another sync guy. He, he has a, a thing called sync beast. And he said that, uh, tracks that sync sound authentic as fuck. So I, it feels like that's the same nugget. That's like, you want your music to sound really authentic, sound like the stuff that's on the radio. So how mm-hmm. do you get your music to sound expensive? And do you have to be a really amazing engineer to make music in sync? You don't necessarily have to be like God tier level engineering master. Um, what I would say is that the best thing that can help anyone land sync placements is to use references. That's mm. like 
the cheat code of all cheat codes, because if you're using, because normally when a, when I get a brief, they have some type of reference, like we need something that sounds like this because we can't afford to actually pay. Um, I don't know, Cardi B like $4 million for this, this song. We got 10%, right. which is still a lot of money. So like when that happens, um, I use the references as closely as I can. So sometimes I'll change the instrumentation a bit, but like, especially nowadays, there's things like tonal balance and things that you can actually uh, mix with your ears and eyes. Cause I'm in a, I mean, this is a partially treated room now, but like I make everything in my bedroom with headphones or like with my speakers. So I definitely need to the uh, the visual representation of, of sound to help me make sure that it's of the highest quality that way as well. So um, making stuff sound quote unquote expensive just means making it sound human to me. So like okay. sometimes that can be imperfections, other times that's just uh, comparing it to things that are on the top 100 on billboard. Like mm -hmm. it needs to have the same quality. So it doesn't sound like they just ripped it off of like a stock website for music. You know right. what I'm saying? Right. Imperfections. That's an interesting way of, of putting it. Uh, human. Yeah. Human totally. Cause I mean, we're making everything with a computer, man. Like people still can tell. So like, that's, that's something you want to make sure that's not happening. Um, the other thing though, that you also have to kind of balance with that is that the right music is more important than the best music. Okay. Yeah. So like if we're helping tell a story with our songs, like if it's, if the lyric just hits and is helping the, the filmmaker do X, Y, Z, they're going to use that where, uh, regardless if it's mixed and mastered to perfection, because that's not the point because yep. that's what most of the music that we make, unless it's being featured, um, like the, the, um, the actors are singing along or, or something like that. We're on the, we're background wallpaper music. <laughs> so like we're, they're going to, they're just going to turn it down anyway. And most people, if you think about it, are listening on phone speakers, TV speakers, they're not even high def. So like they yep. can't even tell like the, the, the intricacies of what you're doing on the mixing and mastering side. So like you want to, I like to think of it as paid practice. Like I want to, every time I make a song, I want it to sound better than last. Right. But at the same time, um, I'm not getting stuck in the, uh, I have to make this perfect. I need to make it finished. Finish is better than perfect. Always. Hmm. Finish better than perfect, man. So it seems like, you know, you, you reached your pivot point and you went sync. Uh, do you feel like there's room for more people to get into sync? Do you feel like AI is going to take over? That's interesting. We had this, uh, we had a, um, a, uh, masterclass on sync yesterday and somebody asked that same question yeah. uh, as far as with AI. No, I don't think AI is going to, I mean, AI has been here for the last eight years. I don't think most people realize like ozone has been doing stuff with AI for mastering for like the longest. So yeah. AI has been here for a minute, but the interesting and really, really <clears throat> thing about it right now, because, uh, thanks to chat GPT lawyers got onto that real quick, uh, because it was given legal advice. Um, wow. so U S copyright as of right now, um, does not deem <clears throat> anything that's generated by a computer as actual intellectual property or art. So that means that you can't sync license something that you don't have license to actually give it. You see what I'm saying? And that's because so, it's um, derivative of everything that it takes in. Exactly. So yeah, okay. because it's a derivative, uh, everything that it makes is, is always going to, it's always playing catch up with cr actual creativity. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. I told you to like make a new style of, of uh flow on a hip-hop uh, track or something like that 
it might be able to create something, uh, but it's based off of everything that has been fed. Right, so right, right. As as you stay creative and make new genres like the indie dark pop that happened with Billie Eilish. That was really, really cool. No one saw that coming because no one thought about it before. So like being creative that way is we're always going to stay ahead of the computer, if you will. Yeah. I mean, Billie Eilish still has shades of like Amy Winehouse and Billie Holiday to me mm -hmm. though. So like, okay. you know, it, it's interesting to me to, to think about this. I was just talking about this on the last episode of the podcast that like, everything we make is derivative too. I mean, like we're essentially fed the same way, uh, <laughs> fed the same way, uh, uh, you know, an AI bot is fed, which is like, we take in lots of information, lots of music, and then we spit then we out stuff that is, that has that information in it. You mm -hmm. know what I mean? It's unique to us and it's, it's our voice, but I could see that being used as an argument for companies being able to use AI in the future. It's like, it learns the same way we learn. So how's it any different? The other cool thing is that AI, especially on chat, I use chat GPT uh, to help with like um, making emails sometimes. Yeah. And um, the interesting thing is that AI watermarks all of its, its generated content. So Google huh. can tell when like you're using it for SEO on a website or whatever. So, um, because of that, like, um, I remember, I think it was last month when everything kind of went crazy with chat GPT. Yep. If, a lot of people were trying to make YouTube videos based off of just what chat GPT made and they were getting flagged as content ID problems. So like, interesting. yeah, they, they're Google ain't playing with it. Cause they know how like big of a threat that is as far as with their business. So wow. like, I think there's vested interest for everybody to make sure that we keep this under control. Yeah. Um, in regards to your question, as far as like, is, is the market saturated? No, not at all. I like to, I like to use this in the course, uh, just to give perspective. There's about a thousand different TV shows in production right now. Okay. Mm. So actually let's do the math on this real quick. Yeah. There's a thousand different TV shows. Well, I'm going to get my calculator here. Okay. So a thousand TV shows in production, post-production. So they're already like, they're cleared, ready to go. Um, Per episode, you have anywhere between 30 to 200 pieces of music used. Okay. Wow. So let's just ballpark it and say like there's a 40, 120 different pieces of music in every episode. This is especially for like reality TV shows. That's 120,000 uh, pieces of music just this season. Just this season. And music change, again, taste shifts and changes all the time. So they're going to need new music next season. And that's just TV. We're not talking about promos for every episode. We're not talking about the commercials between the episodes. Um, again, there's video games that come out every year, like, and they need trailers. There's movies, like there's all kinds of stuff. Everybody can eat. And that's the really, really cool part about it is that like, we're leaving the music industry in a sense and walking into the film industry. So like a lot of the CD stuff that sometimes can happen, especially with labels and things of that nature, like we don't have to worry about it anymore. Wow. So we can kind of focus more on the freedom of just creating instead of like trying to push out a song every month and do the Facebook ad thing. And yeah, it's just, you can't live off of streams alone. So like, this is a great opportunity. I, I use sync at first as a side hustle, just cause like if I can make music, and it earned me passively like yeah like take this stuff it's just sitting on a hard drive collecting dust anyway yep. you know what i'm saying so like yep. it was, uh when i came under that realization like yo like there's no reason to have a scarcity mindset with sync because there's more youtubers than musicians believe it or not so i'm not surprised by that i'm not surprised by that. everybody wants to be a content creator now
You know, my, could, my kids just said, I want, can you set me up with a camera, dad? I want to, I want to make my own YouTube, YouTube videos. I'm like, damn, the whole, there's a whole generation. I think right under us that like their first, like, you, you know how, like they ask kids at school, like what you want to be when you grow up. And maybe in the sixties, it was, they want, everybody wanted to be astronaut. The seventies was maybe, maybe a rock star or whatever. Right. Um, the generation right under us, everybody wanted to be a YouTuber when that question was asked. So like yeah. everybody has a phone versus everybody understands how to create music. So like, because of that, there's a high supply and demand uh, shift that's happening right now. Wow, man. That's really fascinating. It really makes me want to get deeper into sync, man. I'm, uh, I've got a huge, I've got a huge catalog of original music that I've recorded and I'm just like trying to figure out how to, I have a, a publisher I work with in Chicago that has placed a couple of my things and they're just big, like big band stuff. You know, it's like they wanted jazz and I was like, I've got all this big band music here. Take it off. It's so hard you know? to produce on a computer. So like you could really niche that and, and kind of own that space. Yeah. Yeah. It's sure. interesting, man. Well, dude, this was, this was so great, man. We're going to, we're going to link your Instagram channel. I actually haven't seen your TikTok, but you mentioned TikTok, So I'll link, I'll find that and link it. Uh, and we'll link your course. So send me a link to your course. Uh, yeah. obviously Josh is crushing it and has some great advice and words and wisdom related to sync. Check out Josh's course. Uh, dude, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me, bro. It was my pleasure. We needed to catch up anyway. This was really, really cool. And, yeah. uh, yeah, anybody, uh, if you have any other questions, just reach out, shoot me a DM. Woo. We did it. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Josh. If you want to get in to sync licensing and you want a guide to help you, Josh has an awesome course. The link is in the description. When you purchase using the link in the description, it also helps Gig Boss. So click that link if you're going to work with Josh. You can certainly take one of his crash courses first to kind of get a taste of working with him. But I think this episode probably gave you a good look into his knowledge surrounding sync licensing so get with josh get with that program if you haven't checked it out yet the gig boss app is free on ios and android it's a way for you to manage your busy freelance and band leader careers we've got photographers using it as well we've got a lot of people using the app and we're really excited we're raising money right now to build out some more features so stick with us check it out download it that helps us as well lots more links in the description if you want to find out more ways to get involved Oh, and if you really love the show, please give us a five-star rating, like the show, follow the show wherever you're listening. We do have a YouTube page, so you can follow us there, subscribe to that channel. But give us five stars on Apple Podcasts if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. Write a little review that says, like, I really like this show. Adam's obviously trying really hard to learn stuff, and I'm learning stuff too. Whatever you can do to get people to check out the show, that's going to help us grow, and that's going to help us continue to get great guests for you. So thank you.